do very much. Well, good morning, everyone. It is a delight to be back with you after our time away. It was a good vacation. Thank you for your prayers uh, as we were away. We had uh, nice, nice weather and great places to stay and be, and the time together was a great, great blessing. And uh, now we're back in the saddle and trying to remember which way the horse is going. So you all know what that's like coming back from, from vacations. And uh, by the way, uh, to those of you online, uh, some, some have uh, given uh, some feedback, which we're grateful for on the live stream. And uh, so we're back to uh, using the cell phone, but the picture is a little better. and Hopefully the audio is better at this point. And we're going to keep working on the system, seeing if we can't work the bugs of it out. But uh, we promise not to afflict you with it until we do, uh, is it <laughs> going, going forward. All right, uh, Psalm 34, if you uh, would be so good as to turn there, Psalm 34 As you may remember, those of you that have been here, uh, been listening in, we've been going through the life of David, and about uh, three weeks ago, uh, we spent a little time looking at 1 Samuel chapter 21, where David flees Saul, and he runs to a most unexpected place, perhaps thinking that the, it was the last place that Saul would ever expect to find him. He goes to the Philistines. He runs to the city of Gath which, as you may remember, is the city, the hometown of Goliath. And uh, David is in possession of Goliath's sword and shows up in Goliath's city. I'm wondering if he actually left the sword outside with his uh, small band of people. I, that would have been wise. But in any case, he shows up there looking for refuge. It does not go very well. <clears throat> Perhaps he thought that he would... Um, receive at least um, the, the welcome of somebody that uh, may seem to be defecting perhaps from the, uh, the, the Philistines' enemy. But as it was, he wasn't trusted there and the, the servants of, of Himelech or of, of the king of Gath um, was, they were <laughs> really warning Here's this enemy. Here's our enemy. He's the, he's the king of the land, and you're going to welcome him. And so he was bound there. And remember then David got creative and uh, pretended that he was insane. And the, the king was like, I don't need any more crazies than I already have around here. Get him out of here. So they let him go, and he escaped. And then... As we looked at that story and tried to figure out what was David thinking as he went through all of that, we noted that in the Psalms, David writes about that experience. And we took a look three weeks ago at the first, uh, at one of those two Psalms, Psalm 56. There in Psalm 56, David learned, uh, reveals what he learned, that in the midst of trouble, instead of trusting yourself, and your own cleverness to get yourself out of hot water, you need to learn to trust the true and living God. And then he wrote another psalm, and that is Psalm 34. And we're going to take a look at that. Here in this one, uh, David 
notes uh, that after being delivered, when you're delivered from that trouble, it's time now for praise. And so we're going to look at David's praises here and learn along the way that in that praise, it's not going to be merely a matter of singing praises and being happy about what God had accomplished in your life, but it is as we contemplate all that God had done in delivering you, your proper response, yes, is praise. Yes, is, is expressing your gratitude and thanksgiving. But in the context of a proper and holy fear, there is an emphasis upon a righteous and holy fear of God that's appropriate as he brings deliverance into our lives. So let's read uh, if, if you're able, stand with me as we read Psalm 34 this morning. It's entitled, Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless Yahweh at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in Yahweh. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify Yahweh with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought Yahweh and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and Yahweh heard him and saved him out of all its troubles. The angel of Yahweh encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste. And see that Yahweh is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear Yahweh, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek Yahweh lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of Yahweh. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of Yahweh are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of Yahweh is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, Yahweh hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Yahweh is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but Yahweh delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Yahweh redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. So note here in the first three verses of this psalm, this call to worship that David uh, issues uh, forth here. And there's some, uh, when you look at this call to worship, there's some interesting things about it. He starts, I don't know, if you were in his situation and you had narrowly escaped imprisonment or perhaps even death, what your first response would be, I'm sure there would be relief. And, and I'm sure uh, that those of us that are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting in our God to deliver us, I would hope that we would have our mouths filled with praise. 
But notice that David's concern with praise is not that we just be thankful. He, he wouldn't just be thankful for that momentary deliverance. He notes that this praise is to be continual. It will always be in my mouth. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in Yahweh. One of the things that our praise should be characterized by is confidence. As perhaps you noted in the two, the two hymns that we've already sung this morning, the confidence, the trust that those hymns express. I was particularly struck by Elder uh, Willis's uh, noting that the young lady who wrote that hymn, We Rest on Thee, died of a stroke at age 25, had had earlier strokes, was crippled because of polio, all of those things. And yet she sings about praising the Lord confidently in the time of our weakness. Did you catch that? And she, sing, she pens this marvelous hymn of confidence in a sovereign God who has her life in His hands without complaint, without a pity party, without anything like that. She expressed that kind of confidence and joy in a God who keeps her. David, looking at how he has escaped recognizing, I think it's pretty clear, that it wasn't by his cleverness. But it truly was by the hand of God that he was delivered from the hands of his enemies. So this, this call to worship is about calling us to continually worshiping God as he, for his deliverance of us and to worship him in confidence that not only has he done it once, but he will continue to deliver us. That, of course, is going to be really important for David in the days to come, right? Because Saul is continuing to pursue him. And he has trouble on every side. And then the final aspect of this, open, open, the first three verses, this call to worship is kind of the introduction here. And in this introduction, notice how it says, O magnify Yahweh with me, let us exalt his name together. This worship that we are to do is not a solo event. It's not an individual activity. There are so many that claim the name of Christ that would find no use whatsoever for the visible body of Jesus Christ. For many reasons. Maybe they've been uh, hurt by somebody. Um, there's been an abuse of power. Uh, there's been hypocrisy. There's been any number of other things that have sort of set their teeth on edge when thinking about the church of Jesus Christ, which, of course, is it, it happens, and it's because of the fallenness of those who reside in it. Uh, we're all susceptible to hypocrisy and pride and arrogance and abuse and all of those kinds of things that we can inflict upon others. To the, to the detriment of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I think we bear some responsibility for causing others to stumble when we do that. But David's call to worship is, within the, is, is in the context of the people of God. David is not content to simply worship God all on his own in the privacy of his own closet. But he says, no, let's exalt God's name together. 
come magnify the Lord with me. That, that word magnify means to show greatness. In fact, the very word worship has, is, a, is a contraction of, of a little longer word from uh, older English, the worship of God. We're here to declare His wonders, His greatness, His marvelous, uh, His marvelous actions, and the the glories of His character. We are to show forth His greatness, and that is magnified when we do that within the body, within the the corporate, visible testimony of the Church of Jesus Christ. Because my comprehension of the greatness of God, however, however uh, thorough it might be, humanly speaking, is woefully inadequate. When we add to each other our test, mutual testimony of the evidence of God's greatness and His marvels in our lives, we each come to understand even more how great our God is. I had the privilege of spending a little time with our brother Greg uh, down uh, in the hospital there in Post Falls this week. And I'll tell you what, if you want to be uplifted, give him a call. Or better yet, if you can make your way down to Post Falls, go pay him a visit. He's, He's... Hungry for company. And you know what he wants to talk about? About how God is, about how great God is, about all that God has done in God's in his life, the providence that God has shown to him, the mercy uh, in, in sustaining him and sovereignly overseeing everything and putting everything into place so that when these things took place by God's sovereign plan, uh, Greg was able to see the hand of God in it. And it's a joy to, to, to fellowship with him. And sure, I've known those providences of my own life, but if I just keep them to myself, uh, I'm not really showing forth his greatness. When we start talking about them with each other, it just multiplies. So David calls us to boast in the Lord together confidently because he is great and greatly to be praised. But this praise, again, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, and as you probably caught as we read through, particularly in verses 9 and 11, this praise is, uh, is, is in the context of a proper fear of God. David has learned about God's fear and will continue to learn about the fear of the living God as he goes through his experiences in fleeing Saul and the remaining preparations that are necessary for him eventually to take uh, the reins of the kingdom in his hand. I think that fear began for David when he was there in the midst of, first of all, fleeing from Saul and then fleeing from Gath, from the Philistines, and coming to the end of himself and realizing that he had to trust in the Lord. That was the beginning of his fear that he needed to have. I mean, it really began before, of course, and other experiences that he had. But in this immediate context of these these two psalms that he's written, 
That's the catalyst of coming to the end of himself and realizing that God is greater and that he can truly trust him. And so, while he's calling us to praise, he's also calling us to reverence or fear Yahweh in every aspect of your life. And that's, there's, this is a rich, rich psalm. We're going to scratch the surface on this today and cover this one particular aspect of David calling us to a holy fear of uh, remarkable and absolutely um, phenomenal God who is beyond our comprehension and yet who delivers us. So let's look at what this reverence looks like and particularly why. Why should we revere our God? Why should we fear Him? Some are uncomfortable with the idea of fearing God. It, it seems to go contrary to the whole you know, coming to Him as Abba with Abba, Father, that, that the tenderness that uh, He shows to us. Of course, there are plenty of passages that speak about His compassion to us and His tenderness with us, His patience with us, and all of those things. And those aren't usually things that we think of as engendering fear. And yet, there are plenty of other passages that remind us that He is a God who is wholly other than us. That He is infinite in every respect where we are not. And that He is to be revered. He is to be feared. In much the same way that a, a child loves their parent, but yet has a, a great respect for the discipline and the correction that that parent can bestow and therefore would be afraid to be disobedient. Similar kind of thought here. But uh, let's take, this is a, 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 as I looked at this, I see some signs of, of kind of a chiastic organization here. Um, and if you're not familiar with that term, I, many of us are, but the idea that uh, you have corresponding passages at the beginning and the end of, of a section of Scripture that speak to similar ideas, and then you move in, and you have... All right, here we go, visible. You've got the first and the last section, then you've got the next ones, then you have the next ones, and then right in the middle, you have the heart of the whole thing. And then if you keep going with those lines, you make an X... Chiasm is the Greek, key is the Greek word for let, name of the letter X. So, hence the name. Anyway, the heart of this uh, passage is in verses 11 through 14, but uh, David worked his way in towards the middle with this psalm. So, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5 and a little bit of verse 6 too. There's, David is not being really structured with this hard and fast, uh, there's some overlap. And then verses 19 through 22 would be the uh, companion section. He begins this section, I sought Yahweh and he answered me. The word sought or to seek, which is used a, a few times here in this psalm, is the idea of inquiring after something or searching something. And particularly when you look at verse 5, kind of a parallel idea a little different word. Those who look to him are radiant. You put those two together, the word look has is, is not a glance. 
It's the idea of gazing at something, uh, considering it, trying to, trying to really get at it by staring at it. What is going on with that? You put, that, you put these ideas together of, of, of searching or inquiring after God. You know, we, we often encourage people to seek the Lord. Right? We read those kind of passages that seek the Lord while he may be found. Call, up him, call upon him while he is near. And we just kind of bounce off of it and tend to take it in a much more casual uh, tone than really is intended by the Scriptures. When you are intent upon learning something or getting to know someone or trying to uh, comprehend something, if you're really zealous about it, you're not casual, are you? You're not, you don't just give it a casual hit and miss and go, oh, well, okay, that's what it's all about, and then go on your merry way. You tend to mull it over. You read lots of stuff. You consider lots of stuff. You listen to lots of stuff. You talk to other people. You ask questions. You, you just mull it over and, and really seek to inquire what's going on till we're not sad. We're, we're, there's a certain degree of dissatisfaction right, that's going on there because we want to be satisfied with full knowledge about whatever that is. That's kind of the idea that David is saying here. I sought the Lord. I, and we know from other passages that David has written that he's, he's a man who believes in meditation and in carefully considering what God has to say and thinking about it and mulling it over and exploring every nook and cranny of possibility of how to, how to view this circumstance in light of who God is and many other things that, that he considers. So, how are you seeking the Lord? Is it just a once a week thing, come to church, uh, every once in, a while, once in a while open your Bible and hope something smacks you in the face? Or are you really seeking Him out, inquiring, Lord, what would you have me to know here? And, and beyond that, seeking every other aspect, avenue of how I can, how I can get a hold of what the, the truths that God has laid out in His Word. That's the idea of this. I sought the Lord. And he answered me. Hmm. There's an implication there, isn't it? There are some times when we pray, and as the saying goes, we might feel like the heavens are brass, right? It just feels like our ceilings, we've got a ceiling there we can't get through. And I wonder how much of that is due to the fact that our seeking him is indifferent or less than sincere. Just going through the motions. And then we wonder why he doesn't answer us. David says, I sought the Lord earnestly, and he answered me, and he delivered me. It's interesting in these, these lines, absolutes, absolute words abound in these lines. Did you notice this? All my fears... Never be ashamed. All of his troubles. Now that's in verse 6. Um, down in 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but Yahweh delivers them out of them all. All of his bones are kept. Not one is broken. None of those who take refuge in him shall be condemned. 
Absolute after absolute after absolute. The world doesn't like absolutes. The world likes to have things that uh, you know, make allowances. But David is saying, no, Father, your deliverance of me, your deliverance of the righteous is absolute. It is complete. So that is cause for revering him, for fearing him. Reverence him for his absolute deliverance. His greatness has no limitations. His greatness covers your fears, your shame, your troubles, your afflictions, your weaknesses, your sorrows, your justification with His faithful, redemptive work. And His deliverance is not sparing. Not at all. As you rest in Him, your life flows like a river. That's the the idea that we have here. Those who look to Him are radiant. That's that's a flowing. Uh, the meaning behind that is a, a flowing uh, that that it has this impact um, of, of radiance about it. Now, uh, in in verse. Uh, uh, 18, we read that Yahweh is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord takes us from being crushed to flowing out in radiance of joy. And that, that radiance is without confusion or disgrace. He takes away our shame. And He does it absolutely. What an incredible reason for holy fear. Notice also within the context of these two uh, companion passages, this messianic prophecy. Though, uh, when if you if you didn't uh, have the New Testament revealing that this was the Spirit's design, we wouldn't maybe recognize this as such. But He keeps all His bones; not one of them is broken. Was fulfilled absolutely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus worked of redemption is successful. It, ab- it absolutely delivers his own because the Father sustained him through the entire ordeal down to every last detail. All of his bones were, were whole when Jesus died, contrary to the practice of Roman soldiers who would break the bones of those hanging on a cross so that their death would be more um, painful, but also be briefer because they didn't want it to go on and on. So, uh, our Lord's deliverance is absolute. Absolute. So reverence Him for that. The next section in, His deliverance is not just to extract us from difficulty, and then set us on a shelf and leave us to our own devices. But no, in verses, uh, well, four uh, is suggested here. I saw Yahweh and he answered me. But then in verses six through eight, the emphasis upon the crying out, uh, the prayer that Yahweh hears. Reverence Yahweh, not only for his deliverance of you, but for his readiness to hear you. His readiness to commune with you. He hears you in your distress. All of those things that cause you fear. 
He hears those things. And He will bring deliverance to you from them. He hears you, verse verse 6 and verse 17, in times of weakness. The the idea of the, the poor man speaks not only David's humility, but the recognition that he has insufficient strength to deal with these issues. He is impoverished spiritually, emotionally, physically, logistically, every other way. And yet, when we cry out to the Lord, He hears us. You you don't have to somehow get strong, uh, if that were even possible, uh, in order to earn the ear of God. In fact, that's not even possible. There's nothing you can do to earn that. He just grants it. Fear Him for that. Reverence Him for that. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord delivers them all of all their troubles. Those times of weakness, those times of troubles that just reveal to us how frail we are, how unable we are, how insufficient we are. Those are precious times because it puts us in our place where we need to be in relationship to Him. So he delights to hear us in those things. And verses 7 and 8 and also in 18, and these things are related, but along with weakness is the idea of vulnerability. The angel of Yahweh encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Uh, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And then verse 18 again those who are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. There's a, an additional aspect to the weakness. Uh, we can be weak, but try to pretend that uh, you know nobody can really get to us. And we can put on a bold front. But at the end of the day, because of our sins, because of our flesh, because of our weakness, we're vulnerable. And that's a good place to be actually, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. To be at the end of our rope, to be brokenhearted, to be crushed. Did not Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Our relationship with God has to start with the end of ourselves. And the Lord hears us in that condition. Now, uh, this uh, reference to the angel of the Lord here could just be an angel in general, kind of like the guardian angel kind of idea. Uh, But uh, it it is also perhaps, I think, there's some merit in considering this at least a foreshadowing of our Savior, the great shepherd of the sheep who surrounds his sheep in the fold of his arms. He encamps around us He's near to the brokenhearted. Our God is no absentee guardian. He truly is a perfect refuge. Reverence Him for His readiness to be that in your life, even when you're the most vulnerable. And then verse 18, uh, verse 8, excuse me, Beautiful, beautiful verse. 
Oh, taste and see that Yahweh is good. He's good. You might not think uh, that that's a reason to fear him. You fear somebody who's good? Well, you certainly reverence someone who is good, particularly when that goodness is absolute. When that goodness is just so incomprehensible for, to us to be able to, 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 to put down uh, on paper or put down in our minds the extent of God's goodness is beyond us. And that ought to make us open our eyes, take a deep breath, and think, what kind of God is this? In much the same way that the disciples on the stormy sea of Galilee, when Jesus rebuked the winds, were filled with fear. He did a good thing. But what was their response? What sort of man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Reverence our God for his, for his goodness. The word goodness here has the idea of his, uh, of being, there's, there's a benefit. He's beneficial. And it, it, doesn't, it sounds a little self-serving. I don't mean it in that way. But um, to recognize that our God works for our good and his glory. And that is worthy of reverence on our part. Now, I'm going to take a couple of seconds because I don't know what's going on with the interface here on the phone, which never used to be an issue. But I had a message up at the beginning that um, it would end in an hour. And then I'd have to start over again. Then i got to subscribe. So I, they've added something since in the interim, since we started doing this. Isn't this fun? So I'll figure that out this week. But I'm going to stop the broadcast for just a second. Don't go away if you're online. I'm going to start it up again and start, the, start an hour over again. Um, but this is a good place to stop to do that. New hour. Hey, we ready to go for another hour? Let's go. All right. So... Um, well, actually, having done, maybe you should, well, looking at the time, because I'm only halfway through the outline. So perhaps we'll just go ahead and finish this up next week. This is a good place to stop this. By the way, we can go ahead and finish the service uh, broadcast as well. You know, when we think about coming to the Lord in fear, again, that kind of conjures up in our minds something, there's a negative connotation to that, right? We, and we're a little bit uncomfortable thinking about that. And yet we're called upon to fear God by David here and in many, many other places throughout the scriptures as we come uh, appropriately and rightly into his presence. He truly has the scepter. He has the power of life and death over us. He has all, every every aspect of our lives in the palm of his hand, certainly we ought to uh, not get arrogant in his presence. But we need to reverence him. We need to walk in humble and holy fear before him if we are to know all of those benefits uh, that he promises to us. That it is a 
a very strong theme in addition to the reverence idea it's a very strong theme in this psalm that those who do fear the Lord those who are are hiding in him as they seek after him uh, those are are the ones that our father pours his benefit and blessing out on and of course there is a perhaps you noticed as I read through and we use the covenant name of God in our reading of Yahweh over and over and over and over again. David's not talking about just earning your salvation. He is talking about those who are in covenant relationship with Yahweh. Experience the blessings of the covenant when they walk in obedience and fear before Him. And as we dig into this, God willing, next Sunday... And we'll finish out the rest of this precious psalm. We'll see how this fear ushers forth into righteousness in our lives. And which is at the heart of this psalm. So I think with that, we'll, we will go ahead and, and stop at this point. And um, we'll, uh, we'll uh, take this up again, God willing, next week. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. For the blessings that are ours because of the Lord Jesus Christ, that one who walked in perfect obedience before you, who for the joy that was set before him despised the shame and endured the pain and the suffering of the cross so that he might absolutely deliver his children from sin and death. We thank you, Father that you deliver us through him perfectly. And we thank you that you hear us in distress and weakness when we're at an end of ourselves. That is where you begin. And once begun, there is no ending because you are good and you bless us. Lord, help us to reverence you and to praise you in times of affliction or in times of blessing. Let us bring you glory for all that you are. In Christ's name.